fish you ate. The expiration date ends in one eight. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to I Don't Get It, the Pop Culture Get Off My Lawn cast, featuring the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons staring down the prospect, each of entertainment relevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry, of something, something called American Caesar Enterprises, which, by the way, for one week only, Noah, is a butler service which offers superlative non-parial buttling. Do people still have butlers? Anyone? Yes. Like, even, like, oh, filthy yes. rich people. Yes, they, they but, do. Yes. But they don't call... They, First of all, they don't call them butlers. Those guys aren't wearing like ties and tails every day. They're not named Jeeves. No, like they're called. They're called. What um, happened to the butling profession? They're if called. You're not Batman? It, they're called like either administrators or like house yes. managers. House manager. But you are right. essentially still serving the you, Victorian era thing of a, you are butling. You are butling. So are you bringing like on a silver platter? A meal to your master. Yeah. Well, I think you call him. You call him Master Bill. I think the job has changed. Is what what the butler does is has to make sure that when when the Lord of the Manor is going to be there, that all the roses, the roses have been pricked and 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 the hedges, the topiaries, the houses are cleaned. Yeah, all that stuff is that's the purview of the butler. You have to use your medical history as a uh, in the British Secret Service to to patch up your master after he comes back. That's that's a very attacked by. The clue master. Very specific yeah. butler. Yeah, that, that's just one He's, butler out of the array. But that's my point of reference for the for the buttling arts. I would love to know the etymology of buttle, uh, the actual verb itself. I, I, I sure you can look it up. It's, I bet you buttle was a verb like in the 1200s or something. It sounds, yeah. What I, I love, the you know, especially since I've been studying Dutch, it has really caused me to look at English under a microscope, you know, because I, I'm looking at another language under the microscope. Right. I think how many Anglo-Saxonisms are just peppered throughout, you know, not Latinisms, not not, not Greekisms, but, but Anglo-Saxonisms that English is large with. And bottling must be one of them, you know? I, you know, this is, we. it's funny how many times we just... You know, we don't we don't spend twenty minutes or a half hour like other podcasts talking about bullshit before no. getting into the topic. We we do spend three minutes, and it's funny how many times those three minutes are dedicated to linguistic trivia. Yeah, no, it's true, and uh, not true linguistic speculation. Yes, and I am joined as always by my yes. co-host, this guy. This guy is Noah Tarno, founder, senior quizmaster of something called. The big quiz. Hey, you're ripping off my structure. Don't do that. I know. This week only, (laughs) and every other week, probably till I die at this point, uh, provides the finest in corporate and private trivia events nationwide, beyond in person, virtual, hybrid. Uh, You know, if you want to throw a party for your new butler, we can do that too. Or have your butler uh, contact his PR people to set up a, a game for the house staff. I, I was actually, it's funny, I was talking about this the other day, uh, once upon a time, this super rich guy who lives in the Hamptons, or I guess it was Westchester or something, hired me for a couple of events, and one time he's like, hey, come out Friday night, we're having a party, I just want a trivia game, and I went out, I took the train out there, and his, I, I guess you'd call it his butler, picked me up at the train station, and I was remember talking to this dude, he's like, yeah, I manage the property, I'm his house manager. Can you imagine so, yeah. having a residence that needs management yeah. while while you're well, living there? <laughs> my residence, uh, just one human being in this place, and it could use a little management. Right, so but, I but can't somebody imagine somebody living on site and and guiding a staff and and freelancers yeah. and everything. Yeah, Can you imagine such a thing? It's, it's it's a different world. It's I think a lot of those people come up in that world, or they spend years in that world, and they get used to it. I mean, I get it, like. You know, sometimes my life feels hectic, but I'm sure if you're rich, famous, or you have that kind of high octane life, there's a lot of day to day stuff that you just you can't handle on. Man, you know what? It's, you, a, you it's must, a it's a luxury worth paying. You for. You must feel like you got like a five foot long dick if you have a like that. Must be the reason why people do this is that you're just like, oh, well, you know, what? let me talk to my air pl- aircraft hangar guy. Let me talk yeah. to my golf cart guy who manages the fleet of golf carts. Let me get the guy who yeah. polishes my Tesla. You know, there's some, there's all these jobs that are on your. Or compound. you think you have a five centimeter dick and you're compensating. That's more like that's the subtext yeah. I'm trying to add to this exactly. Yeah, my, right. Micropolis, the Greek island of uh, Micropolis. So, Noah, I'm going to be writing a scholarly essay, uh, penis size, as it reflects on the hiring of domestic staff. You know, a, uh, 
a treatise <laughs> by Noah Tarnall. The uh, the topic of someone compensating uh, uh, for natural shortcomings may actually prove to be um, uh, t- uh, valuable as, as a as a, a segue for this episode. No, because this week uh, uh, that's reaching, dude. That's I really don't know. I, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work with it. <laughs> so our topic this week on this podcast, you know, we 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 yeah. take it. We take we pluck somebody out of the ether, the pop culture space. Uh, you know, we discuss what's going on. We, we kick the tires on it. We look at it from different uh, vantage points. We really try to come to a consensus. Uh, well, not, or not at all. Sometimes we don't try to do that. But uh, our topic this week is um, a, a, I want to say young comedian. He's not young at all. He's born in uh, 1990, 1982. So he's... Uh, 82. Yeah, so he's out there. He's, he's, I think he, yeah, he turns 40 this year, I exactly. guess. Exactly. So Mr. John Mullaney, of, uh, born of Chicago, Illinois, he's our topic. And uh, I put this one to know because... Mulaney is, uh, you probably already know the guy because he's been around for a while. He's got a lot of credits to his name. Uh, he's been in the public spotlight for a while. You're maybe a fan of his already. And if my, my guess is judging by the kind of people we've been one with, he, he probably is already one of your favorite comedians. You, you know, he's already made an impression with you. But he's putting together or in the midst of sort of a comeback tour after a really eventful, uneventful, interesting, with, you know, with the, in quotes, 2022 where his life kind of imploded on itself and then 2021, 2021 we're not sorry. moving that fast yeah. into the future right right i'm saying can we can we at least have a few more months please yeah yeah right die? Before he... can, just give, give me a couple more months to settle my affairs have my butler take care of everything please so for the sake of those who are coming into the room late uh, i will sum up john mulaney in our in our customary uh, beginning here john mulaney is a smart aleck comedian who wears thin suits and a permanent smirk on his face you may know him from countless snl appearances most recently from about a week past. Actually, not countless because they made a point on his last one the other week of saying he reached five. Yeah. So actually the opposite of countless, Bill. That's more episodes than Specifically counted. Steven but that's Seagal. not what countless means. That's not what countless means. Innumerable. How about innumerable? It, but it, it's literally the opposite of what's going on. And by the way, Steven Seagal did host Saturday Night Live once. I remember yeah. seeing that in high school. Oh, yeah. he's, he's supposed to be, consensus, he's supposed to be the worst. Uh, uh, really? Yeah, they, he, was, yeah. he, was, he was the worst host He was ever. the worst host ever, yeah, by coincidence. Um, oh, by yeah, consensus, right. I should say. Yeah, so anyway, consensus. his countless innumerable SNL appearances. Uh, it's, not, it's not just, guys lie to you, people. Uh, Bill is lying to you. Believe- five. They made a big sketch about how he reached five. They brought in, they dug Elliot Gould. And Can- Candy like Bergen. His, his no, I saw it, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say, hey, these are the people who've been on five. They didn't have Tom Hanks, though. No, that's true. He was busy. No to them. He was busy. There's probably a bunch of other people who they didn't have who qualified. Buck Henry's dead. Paul Simon. But, um, yeah. They literally counted five. Yeah. So it's literally not innumerable and literally not countless. I'm getting pedantic today, Bill, because I had a shitty week. Just yeah. a little preview of what I'm going to be talking about. Well, what, the reasons of which are really usually material. We, just, we don't need to know why. Right, we right. just like that you do. Okay. That's really what's the important so part. So he has had many appearances as host of Saturday Night Live. And he had been a writer for SNL, correct? A, a non-zero number of appearances, you might say. Yes, that's true. Yes, he was as a writer. As opposed to you and me, yes. Yeah, non-zero number. So Mulaney was born in Chicago, 82, as I said, among a family of affluent strivers. So he enjoyed a leg up in terms of entering a comedy career, something he said he knew he wanted by the age of five years old. Uh, he worked on material, listened to hundreds of hours of stand-up as reference, studied classic TV shows for form. He went to Tony Prep Schools in the Chicago area. Eventually, went to school in Georgetown. He was a legacy admission because his parents were there. His parents went with Bill Clinton. He tells a story in one of his podcast episodes about his mom, Bill Clinton hitting on his mom when they were students at Georgetown. Yeah, he says he met Clinton. I want to say ninety-one or ninety-two. I guess ninety-two. Yeah, well, 10, well 10 when Clinton was first like first running for president. Yeah, his mom. His mom and he and his mom went and met Clinton at a campaign. Thing. Yeah, and at George- it's a fun story. It's yeah. a funny story. Sure. At Georgetown, he performed improv and met future collaborators slash power players uh, Nick Kroll and Mike Burbiglia, names you will probably be familiar with because they will bounce around uh, as content of this episode. He was a writer on SNL from '09 to 2012. Uh, he did. He did. Um, Audition to become a performer, but he was thrown in the writer's room. He says, "Oh, that, you know, I guess Lauren said your skills would be better in the writer's room." He did some on-camera appearances, but. Uh, he left after 2012 to create and produce shows on IFC Network, Comedy Central. Uh, among his other credits, he did uh, voiceover in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as Spider-Pig. Um, he was one of the producers. And he's a uh, uh, voiceover talent on Big Mouth, which is a Comedy Central show his friend. I've, uh, I've watched a lot of Big Mouth. I oh, like yeah? Big Mouth. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, more recently. <laughs> like, good, good for you. Yeah, no, Enjoy. Good for you. More recently, he's become <laughs> infamous for entering rehab in 2020 for booze and coke. 
uh, divorcing his wife, uh, shacking up Olivia Munn, the the at the model turned actress or the model turned Daily Show on camera uh, talent turned actress turned whatever she does these days. He had a child with her, uh, and he relapsed once more for good measure on top of that. So, um, yeah, I guess you'd say there's a little bit of a reboot in the, after the last turbulent few years. And so you're, you're seeing more of him, and you're seeing a different tone. If you if you choose to read into it, you're seeing uh, a different set, and he has different conversations. And, and depending on who he's talking to, the questions are different, and, you know, maybe some somewhat self-effacing. Some Maybe sometimes he's more bracing in terms of honesty. But... Um, I think I was more familiar with him than Noel was, but I mentioned to see Noel. What did, what did you think of this guy from your shakedown? I, I fucking had it with these people, Bill. I fucking <laughs> had it. I have fucking had it. I'm just, I'm fucking done. You know, I watch one of his Netflix specials. I don't know which one. There's like 12 of them. I watched three of them. And uh, by the way, I watched his little, well, we'll get to that. The, the John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. He did this 2019, this kind of weird uh but not bad, like Child- kids children's special, show, but, puppets and shit. Yeah, yeah, but like also for adults. I don't think there were puppets in it. Anyway, I fucking had it with these people. So one of the Netflix specials, it starts with a big. He's he's live from some theater in Chicago, and big sign up for John Mulaney sold out. And backstage, you're seeing all the posters and the names signed on the wall, the famous people who've played there. And he's putting his sharp little suit on, and you hear the crowd cheering, and he's. He's walking through the backstage area like Spinal Tap, but not getting lost. And, and he comes out and the crowd goes nuts. And ah, and then he just starts talking about how he's a complete failure and he's not a real man. I can't do this anymore, Bill. I can't fucking get slapped in the face with how, oh, I'm a failure. But like, you're not a failure. You've accomplished everything I wanted to do when I was a kid. Like, I... Noah Tarno have failed as I, mean, I didn't even fail as a comedian. I didn't even register as a comedian enough to fail. I, like I, th- I, I think you're being hard on yourself. But that's just me. to be considered. Yeah, I'm being fucking hard on myself. You don't know the kind of week I had. I failed as a comic. I am currently failing as a man in every conceivable way. I just can't take it anymore when these people who are wildly successful come out and smack themselves over the head with a frying pan about what a lack of success they have. Then, of course, you read about him abandoning his incredibly hot Jewish wife, every dream I've ever had. And he's, he's taken up by someone who is, I mean, I think his ex-wife is more physically attractive than Olivia Munn, but I don't know either of these women, so who knows if I actually encountered them, what I would think. Um, you know, he's in rehab 17 times. Talk about countless, right? <laughs> yes, um, exactly, yeah. Right? Constantly forgiven, constantly welcomed into the little coterie of cool people that I was never, yeah, I'm fucking bitter, that I was never welcome into. You know, I love my college friends, but none of them got me, you know, jobs on Broadway. He and Nick Kroll did a Broadway show. You yeah. know that? The yeah. Little oh, yeah, yeah. Guys. I knew it. I knew it, yeah. John Mulaney is very talented. I'm not saying I deserve to be performing in this theater and John Mulaney doesn't. John Mulaney is an eight billion time better stand-up comic than I am. And actually, here's the thing about him. Like, I actually think his material is not that good. Like, if you just wrote out his material, I could see, like, an open micer doing that. So it's kind of facile. It's kind of easy. But in terms of the craft of stand-up, the delivery, the timing, physicality, I think he is really superb. Really superb. He has a really impressive mastery of the artist stand-up. His, which, his brand is good. You're right. Yeah. You know, it... it that's the kind of thing that could take mediocre material and make it into something really of quality. But like, you know, I watch these specials and I'm not repeating the jokes or anything. You know, it's not like the great comics are like, as so-and-so said, you know, you don't get any insight from him. He's, he's, he's no George Carlin. He's not even a Dave Chappelle. So I don't know, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's a lot good about that. It's fun. You watch, you have a good time, you laugh. Right. But I just can't with these people anymore because just the, the contrast with my life is just fucking killing me, dude. It's fucking killing me. Why do you do this to me? So there you go. That's my extremely <laughs> personal, biased, unfair, admittedly unfair assessment of fucking John Mulaney. By the way, I've never been in rehab. If I did cocaine once, I would probably be homeless the rest of my life. All right? That's the margin of error <laughs> with me. I've uh. never done cocaine. I've never even been drunk, people. And my body is just like a pile of broken bones at this point. My life is in wreckage. It's just like, I don't know, man. I'm not in the cool club. I, 
Sorry, people. You you know, you, if you don't if you don't want to hear my deep dark secrets, don't listen. I have lived with the uh, fear of that. Um, you know, the, the fear of uh, what do you call it? The, the limit, the tolerance, the idea that you have a, a threshold for, for loss and that if you make one mistake, you know, in fact, I, we were told this. It's also not true. It's also not true. I think it's I think it's more true than it is. It's for, just okay. how it feels. It's it how does. It does. I think, you know, the margin for error, I think, is certainly less. Uh, I'm saying I'm, I'm doing okay now through no no fault of my own through no credit to my own. But again, it's like I think that there were many things that it could that it could have gone worse along the way. But many things did go plenty bad along the way, and it's like those are mistakes that you made before you even begin to catch yourself making them, or somebody had to describe them to you. But by that point, they're too late to you know you can't fix your career. Like by the time you're 25 years old, it's done. You're finished. It's fuck. You're fucked up and finished. It's done. It's over. You know, and the thing is, is that I, you fucked up. I, I don't think that you are alone in this. Uh, this you know, you think you're you're on a, a pier in the middle of the ocean right now, and you're you're looking back, and shore is very far away. I don't think it's I don't think it's at all with Mulaney because it's. I think it's very easy uh, to look at him and see all the things that you just said, and it's like I think I smelled that on him from the moment he kind of became an on-camera persona knowing full well he he transitioned from the writer's room knowing full well the people he ran with uh that he was buddies with bill Hader. him and bill Hader were the team uh create behind stefan behind other things yeah it's like they really did a lot of sketch writing along the way uh, stuff that is i think is hilarious i mean you know some of that stuff was brought out by just how good bill Hader is at synthesizing other people's yeah. ideas and, you know, once I saw Mulaney did something that few other SNL writers have been able to do, which is become a brand himself. You know, Bob Odenkirk was one of those guys. Well, Tina, Tina Fey Tina very Faye. consciously did that. And she had to fight for that. She did. But again, this, this shows you how, how privileged you are saying, oh, no margin for error for us. You know, I mean, I'm Jewish, but we're white guys. Like, if there's no margin for error for us, Tina Fey's in the world. Or, no, it's true. You know, and it's, fu- it's funny you mentioned women or whatever. It's funny you mentioned Tina Fey because uh, something about Tina Fey... Uh, was Kevin when I was pondering John Mulaney's career path and uh, his status he holds in society? Tina Fey, I think, was actually a model for this sort of thing. And I thought, you know, uh, I agree with everything he said about his material. It's he he does a good job. He writes jokes that sound proper coming out of his mouth. He elevates his material, his sense of timing. Um, yeah. You know, the thing is, is that there is an overall effect watching Mulaney, which is I, I get this level of self-regard and self-satisfaction. And again, I don't buy into that. That's that. What is it? When he runs down the derision, the self-derision that he it's it's completely disingenuous because he looks to me like somebody who has never had a bad day in his life. I'm not saying that he has, <laughs> but he, he clearly has, though. Come he on. Has. I mean, he has. I know However, we've never had a drug problem, but you know enough people who have had I drug I understand. Problems. Yeah, yeah, no, I have. Right. But it's like his his public comportment, the, the, the image he puts out in the world is this smiling, grinning, uh, I'm living the life of Riley. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's more cutting than that for me because, again – Everybody knows his material. I watched that lunch bunch. I've, I watched a documentary now. It was a show he co-wrote. I mean, some of those episodes are pure fucking genius. Him and Fred Armisen and Bill Hader and, and Seth Meyers. Co- That's an incredible TV show. Half-hour episodes. They're fantastic. He's been responsible for a lot of stuff I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, one one, one yeah. thing of which was actually he did this uh, 92Y sit-down. It's like a, an hour and a half or so where it's him, and, him and Bill Hader in conversation with one another. I think it was part of a New Yorker festival. It's, 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 it's dynamite. You're watching two friends. It really feels like a hang session. Um, I think that John Mulaney, though, puts out this air like he's already qualified for the Mark Twain Hero Prize. He's, he's, he's walking around the stage with this grin on his face like, I'm one of America's great comedic minds. I know that I'm like Reiner and I'm like uh, Brooks. I'm like Woody Allen. I'm like Buck Henry. I'm like all these guys. It's just I have to wait 30 years to get my Kennedy Center honor. And that really puts me off. And, and I can't look at him and not see this level of self-regard. Like he is part of the American humor tradition already before the age of 40. And you know what? It's the fact that there's so much of a gestalt around him because he's got all these friends that are all in the right places. He sets up something. I'm going to do a show for, for Netflix. He gets all these people the drop of a hat. You know, he is what definitely one of the coolest of the cool people. And, you know, I love Tina Fey's work. 30 Rocks is going to be one of my favorite shows. Tina Fey, when she became on camera and especially the personality uh, change from when she was a hungry striver 
Who Jesus? I mean, she she chopped her hair. She lost a shitload of weight. She yeah. They made that. Apparently, that's what Lauren Michaels or someone said. Like, you can't get on camera until you lose X more pounds. Yeah, or it's, which it's, is in so many words. In so many words. Because, yeah, which is just. And she did. I mean, look. You know what? She they, did. They don't. They don't make. They, they they make certain demands on men for the same thing, but not nearly as harsh as that. Yeah, yeah. She did. And she did. Yeah. She and did. and the thing is, unfortunately, what happens is that Tina Fey. I think something ugly was unleashed inside of her because in, in addition to becoming the best possible writer she can be and, and authoring some great 2000s era and 20-teens era material, I think Tina Fey uh, in some ways became a little bit of the mean girl. Once she got into the cool club, mm. I think that she became a little... I mean, she then she wrote a lot of uh, stuff into uh, Kimmy Schmidt that people really took poorly. And there was a lot of, really? an, I'm going to say anti-trans, but it was a tone, I, I, tone deafness I, for gay stuff and tone deafness for color stuff. Especially. I never, I never watched that show, but my impression of her was, you know, I'd heard about her, that she was like the sensation. I watched her on SNL. I'm like, she sucks. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, she's just, these are jokes are lame. And then I saw 30 rock. I'm like, Oh, like that was her lane. Great. That was her lane. Right. Yeah. But I kind of feel like, well, SNL, I mean, this this was, I feel like, dark days for SNL, really hedged her in and didn't let her be herself. No, I mean, so the, the, you know, the I, format I, I will choke you to death, yeah. Right, whatever, but I haven't seen Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I saw that movie Baby Mama, it wasn't that good. So whatever, that was my impression of her, is like, she's great, she just, SNL, you know, was not where and she that's, that's, really show You know, that's stuff. the thing, I'm not, uh, you know, I, as much as I just uncorked the, the Tina Fey can here, I, it was more the idea that the... Um, these people, you know, once they get a hold of a level of renown and success, it becomes this recursive uh, tunnel of self yeah. of self congratulate a Mobius strip of self congratulation. It's it, it's the cool kid club, but that is com- the nature of comedy. In December of uh, 2020, I went to dinner at a friend's apartment, but it was not dinner. It was an intervention for me. Of all the unthreatening, admittedly talented, clean cut, you know, slightly personally damaged, self-effacing white guys named John. Why is John <laughs> Mulaney the one people are talking about? Uh, I think he's... And, and, and with 12 Netflix specials and in the Five Timers Club on SNL. This is something uh, I was going to say that this is what's going to come up. And the, the minute I, w- I started watching this guy's comedy years ago, I realized there's something weird about what he's doing. Anyway, I was going to say he he's chosen a very narrow lane in, in which to ply his trade. Right. Um, as much as he tells good jokes, his jokes, you know, are his own skewed version. He, he can't talk about anything in the universe. He talks about a very specific way of looking at. Uh, in, you know, spotlight of topics. He's not a broad comedian. He's a he's a very narrow comedian. However, the way he does so, I'm sure you must have noticed this. For a guy, an Irish Catholic guy from Chicago who's around 40 years old, he employs, I don't know if it's subconscious, there's a lot of heavily Jewish inflections and intonations. He sounds a little bit like he's impersonating an Upper West Side Jew uh, from 1982, um, almost like somebody who would see Come On in a Woody Allen thing. This is, this is just the way in which he speaks, not his topics. But he has, again, he's, he's from Chicago and went to college in D.C., and yet he sounds like he's from Upper Manhattan. And no one's really mentioned this, aside from the fact that he does that two-man bit with uh, Kroll, where they are, like, playing two old New York Jews. But he always sounds... Uh, oh, no, actually, his character explicitly says, I'm not Jewish. Okay, but he, st- he, sound- but, he sounds... Yeah, he's, he sounds... He, yeah, he's like an honorary Jew. You know, I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about this. It is. I think it's patterning, to be honest. I think that he absorbed... If he had listened to more Richard Pryor, maybe he would sound more like he was trying to be black from from uh, what is it Peoria uh, is where where Pryor was from. All the different all the that. different uh, places that Pryor lived, he might in fact be unconsciously patterning after that. But I think there's the, something the, the burn ward, the burn. <laughs> Sorry, that's just Cedar. Sinai. Every time I think of Richard Pryor, I think the story of he woke up like. Screaming. burns all over his yeah. chest on and fire. the TV was on and it said Richard Pryor has died he saw it yeah. on t- yeah. it was like the first thing he said he saw when he woke up so he, and and let's not forget this too uh, he's got a deep 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 diversion into popular musical theater which not everybody in his um in his weight class does he's he's really affixed that as part of his uh, brand which is why he writes a lot. Uh, he came up with that, epi- well, that episode. But of- that's a top. That's a timely thing, right? Look at Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane put that to good use. Yeah. Mainstream comedy. Uh, you know, I mean, Hamilton's kind of amazing. I, you know what? Sorry, I know this is a this is a, a tangent, but 
I think musicals kind of have more made, partly because all the musical theater nerds have grown up and gained some power. The Revenge of the Nerds thing, similar reason why superhero movies are big. Hamilton was a watershed. I was amazed, amazed with Lin-Manuel Miranda in his Hamilton costume was on the cover of Rolling Stone back when you could only see Hamilton in New York. I mean, that's... And you think, you're telling me Angela Lansbury in 85 wasn't uh, when she was doing Sweeney Todd no, on Broadway? Was not, no, was not. Okay. No, was not. All right. Well, Continue. His, Sorry. You're saying musical theater... Uh, well, it, it is. It gives him a brand, you know? Like, there's all these things that s- seem to throw back. It's like, I think in some ways... I keep talking about Tina Fey. keep talking about his cohorts. I, you know what he really wants to be is Sondheim. Um, and I think that his 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 thing, you know, not not in terms of what he does, but I think that in terms of the American picture of genius, the idea of like C- Stephen Sondheim as being a distinctly American form of musical theater, inventing a brand and having this renown that has last through all of time. You know, what Sondheim was writing musicals from the fifties up until very recently, and I, that is definitely. Uh, who his favorite uh, artist is because he is he has done nothing but copy and recapitulate Sondheim uh, lyrics and songs in his popular comedy for a good couple of years now and I think that he idolizes Sondheim so much that that's the role he wants to inhabit but I mean that's not necessarily why it's popular I think that's that's what he's uh, ferrying inside of his his work you know and uh, in terms of the cool kid club in terms of celebrity you know let's make sure we also acknowledge that uh, women in particular let's say heteronormative cis women, whatever you want to say, have developed a parasocial relationship with this guy quite easily. I'm not saying he's the only person that has had that done. You know, like there are plenty of people who sort of ship, um, like Lisa Bonet and uh, 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 who's uh, Aquaman, you know, uh, Momoa, right? Okay, so Momoa, yeah, people, people yeah. love that. John Cena, they, there's some of these people who have a real parasocial relationship with some of these guys. And, uh, you know, that's one thing. You're sort of looking at someone who's larger than life. It's easy. But it's like this guy is the opposite of those people. You know, you look at him. He's, he's very thin. He's very slight. He sounds very, you know, wispy when he speaks. He sounds like he's intellectual or kind of folksy. And yet, people idolized him for years. Like you said, what what has gotten him forgiven? How come he's never been sort of tarred or suffered a ding? Well, because I, what he did was he hurt himself. As far as we know, well, and he has not abused a woman or uh, said, that, that's the you thing. Know, racist. We're things. gonna get into the shittiness of this, but not in this segment. It's like, in fact, I think that the brand is starting to be dinged now. And there are some people that show the idea. It's like, well. Uh, you know, to get back to that, it's like you, you picture him as a harmless, brainy know-it-all who looks clean-cut and privileged. And you know what? I think your parents, he's the kind of guy that your parents would love if you brought home because he's just so sort of anodyne and there's no bad side. Uh, anyway, what, what are you telling uh, me? Not why, my parents. Why is he popular? Uh, not my parents. I, uh, you know, as they told me, my dad asked me if I was gay in college. I said, if I told you I was gay, how would you respond? You'd say, I'd ask you if he was Jewish. So my parents would not care if I brought home a man as long as he's Jewish. Uh... Yeah, you know, he's talented, he's funny. I mean, I think, like I said, he has mastered the craft of stand-up and that he always seems like he's speaking off the cuff. You know, that that thing with Nick Kroll got old for me pretty quick because the two old men, but just think about it. These guys were college buddies and it's really just them fucking around and, you know, but they took care with it. They're not literally saying stuff off the cuff. They, They scripted this and they rehearsed this clearly. And I think when you can master that, you know, just hey, I'm, my friends are having fun, but really have a, a, a like a like a foundation of quality underneath it. I think that really goes a long way in the comedy world. Um, these are these are time worn techniques. You know, he does the "Did you ever notice?" joke. He's got this big thing about. Or, I saw one of the specials ordering fries. Like it's always an event. Should we get fries? Will you eat fries? I mean, these little relatable things, right? Um, his joke structure is good. He does it. I think in the same special does a bit about being alone in the subway, not alone, uh, in the subway late at night and there's only like one other woman there and she thinks he's chasing her, but he's not chasing her. And he's like, but I'm not threatening and all that. And um, that's the self-effacing thing too. I'm not a real man. I'm just some little loser. Uh, It's very relatable. And that goes a long way with stand-up. You know, make it just seem like you're talking off the cuff. You're fucking around, but you... You really put the thought into it. So my hat's off to him in terms of that. He's, in some ways, he's like the ugly pretty girl in that he's kind of the wimpy looking dude, but he's still pretty handsome. Those suits are pretty sharp. I should have worn a suit like that when I was- he's, It's Mike Nichols. That's Mike Nichols' stick he's doing with the suits, you know? Yeah, a little. I mean, he's very, you know, he's- He's not what you would think of as a fashion plate, but I guarantee you a lot of women think he's very 
tasty. Yeah, looking. and and he was knocking down. He was knocking out hookups on Insta, which is why his marriage blew up because he was fucking around, fucking chronically. Okay, see that that's what I didn't know. Yeah. So wait. His, I, I've read none of the gossip. What is, why did his, because it's a little discomforting to listen to, watch a stand-up specials where I just got married. I'm so happy. Marriage is fun. We're never going to have a kid. I love being married. My wife's awesome. She's such a funny little Jew. That made me a little uncomfortable. He keeps hitting the point that she's a Jew. Well, she's a Jew. He's, she's he's a trying Jew. to sell to you people. You know what I'm saying? So he does that. And then you hear he left her for, or she left, I don't know, but the marriage is over. And now he's with someone more famous. Having a baby, yes. which he said yes. he'd never do. Yeah. So, Bill, give us the real quick gossip rundown. Okay. Um, well, all right. Mulaney had happened. a problem with, I think it was uh, uh, booze and coke. I want to say in his early 20s, he went to rehab early on. Nobody really knew that about him until it came up again. And then I think that the, uh, I think the ex, look, this is just Bill Scurry's armchair psychology. I think the excess really got to his head. I think that he believed it was all great that he was God's gift to comedy and the fact that he was one of those Joss Whedon guys who was able to cultivate this air of inoffensiveness, this air of, you know, beta-ness of, of him. And he apparently fucked around a lot inside the marriage, towards the end of the marriage. And like they... So wait, he was sleeping with other people? He was, was arranging mean? hookups on D- Instagram Instagram DMs. He was hooking up Jeez. with fans and shit like that. And yes, ah. you know what? He went about uh, endlessly talking about how they weren't going to have kids and all this stuff. And it's like in six minutes after he kills his wife, he breaks her heart, stabs her by saying, we're getting divorced. She had no <laughs> idea it was coming. She was... Oh, so so it was him. It was he all was, him. It was... was the, at, oh, she, she, she betrayed her. She was oh. lied to. He cheated behind her back. Oh. He moved away. And, or Anna. Poor Anna Tendler. I'm here for you, Anna. Yeah. And then and then he winds up with the supermodel woman. This this you know you, you know depending on who you are, no or otherwise, she is one of the apotheosis of modern you know femininity uh, in in the pop sphere. And you know again, it looks like oh my god. I think he thought this is the level I deserve to be at supermodel quality. I should be like Leonardo DiCaprio. And this is a little bit of that thing. And then having a kid, which is something that they thought they were gonna never going to do. And it's like he did not give his wife the kid and has one within six minutes of divorcing and getting out of rehab. Yeah, yeah. That's the run. Yeah. I'm here for you, Anna. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are all quote unquote sins, but they're very forgivable sins in our culture. I mean, I literally think that whatever. He's a comedian. Like, it's really not my business. Stuff like that. Of course not. Like, I do get upset if he's flat out abusive i do get upset if he's a nazi i do get upset if he's a fascist yeah but, but you know what you can like the way joss joss whedon was disgraced for similarly and joss whedon isn't chased yeah, out of the business joss whedon i don't think joss whedon was so i think i mean look i haven't read that much about Mulaney, but from what i read joss whedon did worse than that for, for longer he did it leave. joss whedon uh cultivated a hostile abusive workplace could you come back from that? Sure, maybe. Joss Whedon fucked around inveterately on his wife for years and gave out yes, the impression gave out the impression that he was this, oh, I'm a feminist just like you. I carry yeah, I well, carry that, tampons that, or whatever, you was, know? Yeah, he was holding the feminist banner yeah, above me and all yeah, that. Yeah. I went to rehab in September, mm-hmm. okay? I got out in October. I move out of my home for my ex-wife. I host Saturday Night Live on Halloween. Yeah. I relapse on drugs after the show. <laughs> Not directly after, I just mean not, you know, after, well after good nights, well after. <laughs> no, tell me, would you have liked Mulaney as a kid? And you, you could define kid in this case, however, whatever term uh-huh. you want. Uh, absolutely. He would have been my idol. He would have been my, possibly more than any other topic we've ever looked at. I would have patterned my life after John Mulaney. Uh, you know, you know, I've talked about this, my number one showbiz dream as a kid was to be on Saturday Night Live and he did that and then I watch him on Seth Meyers and they're just talking about and oh yeah I called it did you call the switchboard did you talk to Stan and all you know like oh my god the chummy chummy like we're part of the SNL club back slapping clubby bullshit oh that's all I wanted was to be in that club that's what I wanted be in that club literally specifically the SNL club and be one of those guys, you know, the handsome but not, you know, model-looking guys to be reasonably self-effacing. I mean, that Seth Meyers thing was interesting because he was very open about rehab and he was very blaming no one but himself. He wasn't lashing out. Um, also, he has this bit in this, you know, he's very, in his stand-up, he's very unafraid to seem, I mean, he talks about this, but to seem traditionally unmasculine. 
You know, he occasionally says how people think I'm gay, but then he's always talking about his wife and his girlfriend or whatever. So I had that, you know, a lot. I mean, not as much now, but when I was a kid, a lot of people asked me if I was gay and said, are you gay? Or just didn't care and, you know, called me gay to to, to, to insult me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, to have that, to not be afraid to come off as less than hyper-masculine, right? I mean, I'm still not, right? Uh, And then, of course, I just, I have a little crush on his his ex-wife now, I guess, so... The jealousy there. But yeah, I think um, I also had that view of I was watching old sitcoms. I was listening to comedy albums. Yeah. And I really had that yeah, yeah, view yeah. of yeah. I'm going to dive into. Th- I mean, if I had to be honest, I think as a kid, I more wanted to be an actor than a stand up. But I definitely had a fascination with stand up and I tried it. And, you know, I would want to be a master of the art. But even more so, um, yeah, I, I think I would. I mean, we'll get into the jealousy thing. But, um, yeah, I think I would have seen John Mulaney. That's a path I want to go. SNL to doing my own thing and, 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 and being well on the way to be among the, you know, the council of comedy elders. <laughs> Sitting at a giant uh, U-shaped dais above you looking down from... Uh, exactly. Yeah, There's me and Carlin and Rodney Dangerfield. Prior. Yes. Yeah, right. Prior never did it for me. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, I, I agree. Actually, you, you maybe said it better than I could have. I definitely would have liked him more. Uh, I mean, you know, in my case, I never wanted to be a comedian. But if I cared less about how the sausage was made, you know, I never I never worried about um, the peccadillos of, of like Dangerfield. It, not that I worried about it, but it's not what led. I didn't think about how problematic Andrew Dice Clay was when he started showing up on those young comedian specials. It was just, we left yeah. our ass off in 88, when oh we didn't God. care about that. That stuff they, is, makes me really, un- I it, was it, so it, into that shit and it makes me uncomfortable. And I, you know, laughed because that shit was that nasty. Shit. I get it. It was yeah, But Kinnison, but Kinnison wasn't a bully the way, I'm sorry, we're way off topic. No, it's fine. It's Kinnison fine. No. wasn't way, wasn't nearly as disgusting. No, you're right. And I think, again, I didn't want to be a comedian. However, uh, you know, you know me, my, my own person, I groom myself personally to, I, this is the way I dress like him. You know, I have the suits, I got the tie. That's, that is my personal style. I don't have the build that he does. He's a, he's a skinny little man. Um, I don't think I, you know, emit so much masculinity, which, uh, whether or not we are equal in that respect, but yeah, there, there would have been a lot. It would have been really easy to tune in. Um, and again, looking at him and thinking, oh, this is exactly my speed of comedy. You know, like Jerry Seinfeld, big fan of Jerry Seinfeld when he first came, you know, when, he, when he first started showing up and doing all the observational stuff. And it's like, oh, there aren't too many of this guy. Maybe he, he's the inheritor of like a Robert Klein or a Richard Brenner or, uh, you know, uh, uh, those kind of guys. That was he was the generation after them. But he didn't look like those 70s comedians. He looked more like the guy you see in the, on, uh, you know, on Tonight Show. And, right. you know, like I, whether or not he cruised his current wife. She was barely out of high school, at a wedding. You know, like there's some sleazy things about Seinfeld along the way. But again, that, oh, yeah. none of that stuff matters when you're younger. You're just looking at someone as a pure entertainment. It's like, yeah, I definitely. He would have been my gem. After a very complicated year, it is wonderful to be in a place that's always emphasized sobriety and mental health. <laughs> is there any scenario under which the aliens who sift through the rubble of human civilization to understand the story of man and woman, is there any scenario under which they piece together the facts and determine that the primary auger of the end of the human race was the rise of John Edmund Mullaney? I'm going to say no, but when I say no, it's for the reasons that it's going to sound like a yesy no when I tell you that. I, I think that you know part of really what started to bother me, to be honest, looking at him, was this idea that being born into that upper middle class with two academic parents who came, you know, he was a legacy admission at Georgetown. Not that he didn't deserve to be there, but it's like he obviously had a leg up. And, you know, it was up to him to actualize or self-actuate, rather, what he wanted to do and the way in which he did it. However, he had whole vistas of employment and whole vistas of artistic expression available to him that most normal people don't. Good. You know, like he was born on third base, um, you know, like yeah. his parents fucking knew Bill Clinton. Uh, they were both professors or one of them was a professor in Chicago or that kind of thing. And, you know, he when he went to college, who does he meet? Billionaire John Kroll. Billionaire Skyon, Scion, however you pronounce it, John Kroll and Burbiglia. Right. 
and it's like Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll, Nick sorry. Kroll. I think Nick Kroll's a billionaire. Yeah, his dad's a billionaire. He grew up. He grew up a billionaire Jesus. in Westchester. That's. I think I heard that. But wow. Yeah, and you know, I I have a, a side note about. And, him. and he's not Kroll. Nick Kroll's not untalented. That's the thing. These guys aren't. Nick Kroll's like, insufferable. He's insufferable, and he gives. All right, fine, but I think he's talented. These these guys aren't like the Trump kids. They're not. No, like, no, but still, just Nick, got by Nick Kroll has always but... given off this idea. He's got a little bit of that smarmy. Child, child of a billionaire yes. thing and that always put yes, me off. He, you know what? And smarmy, I, I, could, I could tell you, you know what? It's not impossible to be funny if you're the son of a billionaire. However, it makes the curve for what you do very, very high. You know, Nick Kroll doesn't ever talk about his childhood on purpose because he knows very well that's a snake bite. People will get very, 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 very non-supportive very quickly if they realize that, you know, dad could have bought the entire Upright Citizens Brigade Theater 50 times over just to put the shows out. <laughs> that he, he went to Georgetown as well. He had, the, you know, all these guys had the path laid down. The asphalt was laid down fresh in front of their feet for whatever they wanted to do. You know, and the, the other problem is, is that comedy is unfortunately, not that people have been able to, haven't been able to come in as outsiders and ply their own trade. Comedy, though, much like I found publishing to be in, much, in, a, in a different way, it's being held up by the fact that to do comedy, you need to be Lorraine Newman's daughter who can work for no money for decades and, yeah. and get a TV show on HBO with Gene Smart, yeah. you know, or yeah. uh, what is it, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Pauly Shore, who essentially was able to fail, oh. fail upwards a billion oh. times because he, oh. he was continually foisting in front of us. I think that yeah. a great percentage of comedy is enough of this, these these people who are privileged enough to be able to almost like behave as interns in the corporate world where they can work for pennies longer than yeah. most other normal people can. And it gives them a leg up for being able to do it. And again, it, it does, you know, it like does. John Mulaney seemed like he never had. That's true in a lot. That's true in a lot of industries, though. Mul- yes, no, it is. It is. It's really yeah. it's a disgusting yeah. thing in America and in the, in the, no, whatever, the neoliberal world. But it's like Mulaney never had any lean days. I think he's been living salad days since he decided he wanted to be a comedian. All he needed to do was go out and put the jacket on like like he won the yeah. fucking Masters in Augusta. Yeah, Georgia. he was writing for Chappelle's show, I think, right out of college. Yeah, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's good. Yeah. But guess what? There's a lot of good in the world. There's a lot of There's good. There's a people. lot of good people in the yeah. world who are sleeping yeah. on bridges right now. Look, I mean, both those guys, him and Mulaney, like watch that oh hello thing. I mean, it's simplistic, but they work at it. Like they're not just up there, you know, talking off the cuff. They practice, they wrote it, they sat down, they polished it. I mean, that's better than a lot of other comedy. We talked about that, the first pass comedy. I don't think these guys no, they're the, op- first they're pass the opposite of first pass at comedy. All. The fucking opposite. Yeah, I, I I get I know I I get your point. Um it's funny you mentioned the Mark Twain prize earlier. And we, we say that a lot, like is this the apocalypse? Like, well, if the you know if the if the flossing backpack kid wins the Mark Twain Prize, <laughs> I, I always think of that as like he is like, and like he might be a perfectly nice kid, but he's like the avatar of like doing nothing and somehow becoming famous. Um, look, I think there's a very possible scenario under which, as we said, uh, John Mulaney becomes this comedy elder and becomes one of the greats and. I mean, I never see him attaining Carlin or prior levels, but I see him attaining Richard Klein or, or David Brenner levels, sure. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not thrilled with that because, like I said, he's good. He's good. He's good. He's got the craft down. Excellent. But, you know, comedy, I mean, maybe it's just my personal connection to comedy, stand-up especially. Like, it's got to have something more to really – get out of the stratosphere. It was the hardest I had ever laughed riding with John. I think we were right. Yeah. We were both crying, laughing, just doing Casey Kasem voices. For we couldn't get a sentence out, which was, he goes, uh, he goes, dad, there's bad guys after me. And he's like, son, if they come at you, I'll run at them like a <laughs> Lebanese torpedo. <laughs> All right, now for the most thuddingly obvious segment of our show tonight, <laughs> is there any element of jealousy with John Mulaney? Is, there's no limit to the jealousy I have of John Mulaney. I'm not as talented as he is. I'm probably not as hard a worker. I'm not certainly not as connected. I'm not as charming. I'm not as cute. I'm not even as much of a rebel as he is. You know, I was always too afraid. You know, if I had if I had done drugs and gone in rehab, you know, I'd probably feel better about myself now, which is kind of sad to say. Uh, and yeah, we talked about the being uh, forgiven for his sins kind of thing, which. I beat myself up about that, but I know that's not true. I get forgiven for my sins, but I just don't commit as many sins as a guy like John Malee. Um I don't know what's, you know, they say, this is good advice. They say, don't compare your 
uh, your behind the scenes footage to someone else's highlight reel. And that's part of the problem with social media is that encourages that. Oh, yeah. you know, that's the whole fucking point of it, you know? Everyone has it easier than me. I suck. It's hard to, to pull away from that feeling. Uh, and Mulaney, even with the, the, the broken marriage and the, um, the rehab, Mulaney feels like he's exactly who I wanted to be. And I couldn't get there. Partly luck, partly talent, partly connections. And, you know, those things are not only because I'm old, but, you know, in a sense, I never could have had those things, right? Uh, so, yeah, I just, God, I mean, it, can you think of any other, I mean, maybe Jimmy Fallon. Nah, because I wouldn't want to be Jimmy Fallon because Jimmy Fallon probably knows he's a hack. Well, there's elements of Fallon in this, but this I, this is more the complete no, picture. Fall- Mulaney is, see, Mulaney, despite the fact that I say his comedy doesn't really escape the stratosphere, Mulaney is good enough that I, I think if I were Mulaney, I could hold my head high as being a great stand-up. And I think he should. And, I, you know, I want to give him the credit. Believe me, he even though I, very even high. Though, you know, even when I, 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 I feel the urge to throw him in a wood chipper after the week I've had, you know, I, I, I think he should hold his head high because I think he's a, he's a very good comedian. And he, he earned it. I mean, other people earned it too, but he earned it. You know, uh, and it's, it's you know, funny. I keep prefacing by saying I'm not, I don't want to be a comedian. I, I, but I still wanted to be known. I wanted, oh, but you like making people laugh. Yes, that's the thing. I was still a goof. I yeah. still wanted the center of attention. I still wanted to feel like I was a humorist of some sort, you know, like there was an entertainer inside of me, even though I wasn't going to yep. be on stage doing Bill, it. Bill Scurry has one of my all-time favorite, you know, one-liners at an improv show. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You didn't hear the reason I did that. Personal gain. The reason why I lied. Personal gain. The reason why I lied. Yeah. Personal I have a good gain. reason for lying. Personal. personal gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm miserably jealous of him for for let's let's let me make it into a little segment of this because he reminds me of all of the male kids I grew up with in high school who walked around insouciantly insisting on his own self worth while seemingly waiting to inherit a, a dream future uh, without without ostensibly looking like they're breaking a sweat doing it, you know, and, and those kids always looked like they were from a, a class strata above me too. So there are any number of things that, you know, Mulaney, whether or not it, it, it accords to reality, he um, makes these things look real enough to me where it does feel like looking at the, you know, I'm talking about like the top 10% of people I went to high school with. Why am I focusing on high school? Well, because that was the last time a social market meant something until Facebook, you know, came came of age. College didn't do that for me nearly as much. So, I mean, yeah, in a way, I think like me being throw, throwing a scan, uh, you know, a, a crooked eye or, or a stink eye on Mulaney feels like I'm angry at the year 1987 again. It's almost an old way of looking at the world because he fits that role so perfectly for me. It is, and it's weird that I could, you know, say his comedy would have meant a lot to me back when I was younger while thinking, boy, but if I was a peer of his, I would absolutely be furious at this guy knowing full well that he's just going to ro- roll into any room and, you know, be the center of attention. And, uh, you know, it's just it's almost like destiny or fate, uh, which he's, he's sort of made up at this point. All right, let's go right into the next segment, Noah. The Filonian scale or the uh, Melanian scale. Uh, maybe we'll have to yeah. change it to at some point. Our XYZ axis of, of topics we've talked about. So where does this guy fall on the rank for you? What are some stand-ups we've looked at in the past? I, I could think of three. Have I forgotten any? Bo Burnham, Dave Chappelle, and Aziz Ansari. Uh, right? Fallon, I guess, was, doesn't technically count as a stand-up. Uh, but... uh, really? No. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I, I of those three... I think Burnham is, in my personal opinion, far and away the best. Five, so I say he's five ninths of Burnham. Dave Chappelle, I think, has ideas that really take it out of the stratosphere, but I don't think Dave Chappelle works as hard as I would like him to. So I say he's seven eighths of Dave Chappelle. And then Aziz and Sorry, we talked about, I think is terrible stand up. I like a sitcom, terrible stand up. So he's, um, he's, uh, uh, 7.3 times Aziz Ansari. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's an exact message. How about that? Yeah. That work for you? You know, I, okay. I couldn't, I couldn't find one sort of prior topic to rank him at because uh, it's just this weird thing. This, this almost like, it's like the quantum theory of the way an atom is built where, you know, the electron could be in any place at any time. It doesn't exist in the one Niels Bohr type, you know, uh, orbit around the nucleus. And in some ways... <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't, de- I can't deny the quality of this guy's trade and craft, 
But I have to put that up high. But it's like on a personal level, I have this deep antipathy, which I'm never going to get over. It's going to be there for, you know, I'm going to live with it because it doesn't, you know, ruin my day. Nor is it going to stop me from sampling his art. But I don't think I'm ever not going to have the feeling that I'm looking at this guy, this sort of like smarmy inside creep. You know, like there there is a darker monster inside this guy that he puts to, you know, he puts this sort of a Halloween mask of the milk toast dapper, you know, ineffectual beta guy who looks clever, but it's like he really is a ravenous wolf on the inside that there's, you know, and again, I'm, I'm ascribing all these things to him, accurate or not, this is what runs through my mind. You know, it's and it's not like anybody, would we have imagined that Philip Seymour Hoffman was a junkie before he fucking died? No, Of course we would. Look at that guy's face. <laughs> I didn't think, not for a single I, second. I, I, sorry, that's mean because I love Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman and I, it's heartbreaking when he died. I just, but he always looked like he just rolled out of bed. I, just, I really wasn't surprised that Philip Seymour Hoffman I, died of a drug I, Well, it wasn't It wasn't the drug I would think. He, he you know, For all the things, whatever a junkie is supposed to look like, blah, blah, blah. He, oh, you know I what I'm saying? think a lot of junkies look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, maybe so, but I didn't, I didn't see. And a lot of artists are drug I didn't see, you know, it's like it hinted at, it hinted at, you know, there was, there's a whole side not that again we're not entitled to seeing it there's a whole side of phil hoffman that we didn't know was there we're not entitled to see inside of mulaney although wait did you call him phil, phil hoffman? hoffman you know i'm like i do That's you get to call him phil hoffman. You're dead. uh but it's like mulaney uh in some ways different from hoffman you know mulaney is inviting you into his life mulaney is selling you on a specific you know a, right. a character sheet there's this charisma well, but that's in some ways that stand-up versus what you know Philly Hoffman did, yeah. right? No, it is, and Philly but it, right, but I mean, right. you know, some people, some people, you know, they, they're honest about the lie, and some people are lying about being honest. You know, Jerry Seinfeld never said he goes around picking up ketchup packets in real life, saying, "What's the deal with this?" It's like Jerry Seinfeld liked to buy fifty cars <laughs> and build a fucking garage and date high school girls, right? It's like he didn't. Oh, he never told you he didn't do that. It's like I think I think Mulaney <laughs> Mulaney gave you a different whole different idea about what he does in his personal life as grist for his mill and then behaved in the antonym of that. And so that that has to affect your picture of him just slightly. That's all I'm saying. All right. Hey, I think that's it. I think we got to the end of it. I think that's it. I think look, I thank you for letting me open up to you today, people. John Mulaney is fine. You know, maybe he was an asshole to his wife. He wouldn't be the first. I'm not I'm not going to be best friends with him anytime soon, much to my chagrin, but that's okay. All right, everybody. If you want to find past episodes of this show, look on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Go on the aggregators and give us a review, everybody. Okay. Please, come on. Review, review, this is, review, this review. Re- review. Review. I'm on Twitter. Like that, that's really going to encourage people by snapping it. Yes, at William Scurry. You know where you can find me, youtube.com slash amcaesar. And uh, here's Noah. He's going to say things about what he does. Here I am, bigquizthing.com, the finest, as I mentioned earlier, in corporate and private trivia events, virtually in-person and hybrid. In-person events coming back, buddy. Coming back. We've done like uh, three in-person events in the last like four days, which I'm I'm pretty happy about. So uh, learn about how to hire us for your custom trivia spectacular at bigquizthing.com. Until the next incredibly envious and rage-filled episode of our show, which actually is, is really a lot of them. It's not, it's not just a yes. one-time thing. Yeah, this is, you get, you, you get what's, what's promised on the tin, folks. We, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2022.